0: You're listening to the Grow Landscapers podcast, the podcast where we delve deeper into landscape business, interviewing legends of the UK landscaping industry. So join host Nick Ruddle as he explores their thoughts, insights and experiences. That's here on the Grow Landscapers podcast. So, hi, and welcome to the Pro Landscapers podcast. I'm Nick Ruddle, and today we're extremely privileged and honoured to be joined by Rob Crowder from the multi-award winning Crowder's Nurseries. So, huge welcome to the show, Rob. How are you doing? I'm oh, good, thanks, Nick, and uh, thank you for
1: inviting me on. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm sort of joined, or we're joined by um, nursery royalty. You know, you've been established since 1798. You're the seventh generation Crowder. Um, and my, my first question is normally, how long have you been in business? But, you know, that is just, I mean, you must be one of the oldest companies in the UK, especially in the landscaping industry. Unbelievable.
1: Yes. Um, there are other nurseries, actually, Nick, that have been around just as long. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's you know, it's a great privilege. But also there's a kind of weight of responsibility that comes with that. Mm. Um, and there's a pressure. And, and I'm feeling that because, um I've got three sons, none of whom want to come into the business. Um, They're all doing their own thing. And therefore, there's that kind of responsibility falls on me um, to say, actually, you know, the business has been going for a long time in the same family, but nothing continues forever. And uh, of course, that might change. And and, uh, I think it's going to have to.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You, you're the, the seventh generation, you personally, and then you've got three is it sons. Do you say three, three yeah. sons, and, yeah. and not really carrying on in the crowd of tradition? Maybe no, onto onto other things, other interests, I suppose. Maybe they've grown up and you know seen you go through your, your the, the, the trials and tribulations and thought maybe they don't want to <laughs> don't want to be part of it. But, well, um, that's that's also their cool. own each their own and, I'm, and I'm, in a
1: way i'm very pleased that they didn't feel the mm. the burden if you like of having to continue um because there is a burden there mm. uh, in a family business and an expectation and um, it's something that um, i was keen that i didn't place on them um but uh there we go maybe we'll come back to that later on in this uh in this discussion then yeah
0: yeah well yeah you can see from their point of view you know there's a bigger pressure on them. I suppose to make that decision, you know, because they would maybe potentially expected to um, to go into the family business. So yeah, see it from both sides. Yeah. So, okay. So my first question normally is how long have you been in the industry? I presume that from childhood, you, you were sort of groomed into the company business. So if you just give us a bit of a background on, on the, you know, a bit more detail of, of, of your background, then, then I think that'll be useful.
1: Yeah, sure. Nick. So, well, obviously I was brought up, um, living in a, in a family home which was opposite what was the, the nursery in fact um, you know it's still where the, the office and the headquarters is today but it looked very different in those days and uh, my father took over from his father um, who was still around and alive at the time um, and my father was very much a hands-on nurseryman and, um, and what happened with me was that during the school holidays, I also went away to, uh, to a boarding school. So uh, when I came home in the school holidays, um, you know, from an, quite an early age, I guess, age 13 or 14, perhaps, I started working in the business. Mm-hmm. A, as a way to uh, earn some pocket money, because that's what we had to do in those days. And, and B, I think, as a way of introducing me to the lifestyle of the nursery industry to see whether or not it's something that I'd like to go into. So I worked in various different departments. And um, of course, the nursery was very different in those days. As I've, as I've said, there was a, it was a retail nursery business. It was based um, in the middle of Lincolnshire. It served the communities of Lincolnshire, particularly the farming families of Lincolnshire. Um, but we'd started, my father had started to expand the, expand the business into the wholesale markets. And this is back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And um, in those days, the uh, new towns and development corporations were expanding. So places like Peterborough and Milton Keynes and so on, uh, the new towns. And they were buying huge numbers of plants for landscaping. And um, my father managed to um, persuade, particularly Peterborough Development Corporation, to um, to buy plants from, from our nursery, which at the time was, as I say, very much a parochial nursery, not serving the wider industry. And so that enabled the nursery to business to expand. It was a very exciting time for him. And uh, the nursery started to expand very quickly, um, but then that all changed. And um, what happened was in 1977, I was age 21, my father died suddenly and unexpectedly, and I just finished um, a commercial horticulture uh, diploma at Hadlow College in Kent, wow. and uh, I was waiting during the summer holidays to go off to a placement in the British Columbia, actually, to work on a commercial nursery there to get some experience and see another country and some mm. and a different culture. And of course, my father died, and that all stopped. And suddenly, um, at the age of 21, I was faced with taking on the family business. Um, and of course, you know, it's a very young age to do that, Nick. Um, but I had the benefit of youth on my side. And at the time, you know, be- you believe that uh, you know everything, but in fact, well, you, don't <laughs> really you don't know very much at all. Yeah. But that's the wonderful thing about the naivety of youth and, uh, I kind of blustered my way through it with uh, with a lot of help from some good lieutenants that my father had, who were mm. very loyal to the family and very keen to help me uh, make a success of it.
0: I suppose it's the power of having great people around you, isn't it? I suppose you mentioned about pressure earlier for your children, feeling the pressure and the pressure that's always on you, but the pressure on your shoulders at twenty-one from the, the sixth previous generations—that's a that's, a that's a hell of a, a pressure in itself. So I think. If you can overcome that and, and, and grow the business, that then helps give you belief you know, going forward that you can achieve anything, presumably, you know, if, if, you, if you make it success from such a young age, of such a big company.
1: Yes, uh, and I was very lucky um, in the late 70s, taking on an early age. It was a time when there was uh, uh, high inflation, um, high demand for the nursery product, and it was, I mean, there were lots of bumps to come along the way. Um, but as I say, the development corporations were, the, the demand was huge in those days. And so all nurseries, all UK nurseries, were able to expand on the back of that um, programme of development. Mm. So uh, it, was a, it was an exciting time and a lucky time, but that soon uh, came to um, an abrupt standstill With the Thatcher government, with the market crash in 1987, Mm. uh, another recession followed quickly in in the early 1990s. And things all came tumbling down. Um, Massive changes. And of course, that's a time of privatisation as well. And that's when actually landscape contractors, Nick, and this will be interesting for the discussion, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, privatisation came about so up until that point um, our plant deliveries were made directly to local authorities or development corporations they had their own direct workforces and they would do all the planting but the thatcher government changed that and brought about you know um privatization and compulsory competitive tendering mm. and that fueled the expansion of what we now know as the, the landscape contracting industry wow um, because all that work had to be put out to competitive tender.
0: Yeah, wow. So quite a good thing, really, for, for the contractors out there. For the
1: contractors, absolutely. It's quite yeah. unsettling for us that we're used to supply yeah. um, you know, a few very big buyers to then suddenly have to be yeah. uh, change our business model and start supplying lots and lots of individual, much, much smaller contracts.
0: Yeah brings its own challenges doesn't it really yeah so, so I'm going to ask you now what what does the business what did the business look like when you took it over in terms of the the people the land the the, the amount of people you had um the turnover all those kind of things and then I'm going to ask you what does it look like now all those years later 40 yeah. years later
1: yeah. okay so um it, it was uh, it was quite as a labor intensive business so I think there are about 25 or 30 people on the books when I took over um, but it was very much a retail-focused business, so um, so we supplied the needs of the local community, as I've said. So we had a, a retail nursery outlet. People could come and buy plants directly from the, the farm gate, as it were. But we also had shops, and we had a shop in uh, Skegness, and we had a shop in the market town of Horncastle. And we even had a guy in a van that went and stood on the local markets in all the market towns in Lincolnshire, <laughs> and, uh, God. you know taking orders for roses and and shrubs for the garden and apple trees and all these kind of things and they take orders and the orders would be uh, will would, would be kept until it was time to deliver them in the bare root season in the autumn so wow. completely different to what it's it totally is different. yeah and um, phone's going I'm just going to switch that off okay uh, and um so yeah, so you know, turnover was something like a quarter of a million pounds. Um, I think uh, you know we're now doing uh, that in one week rather than uh, rather than uh, in one year. But of course, there's been massive inflation since then, so that's not a direct comparison. No, um, but uh, um, so yeah, very different. And now, what does it look like? Well, um, we've been through various uh, iterations. We've built a garden center, we've had uh, um, garden shops attached to supermarkets. We've had various bits of diversification along the way, but we've we've got rid of all those now and we've sold the garden center. And we're now uh, just a wholesale nursery, totally focused on supplying the landscape and, and woodland markets. Um, and we've got 50 people and uh, we're gonna be doing 8 million pounds this year. Um, and uh, it's uh, now a very profitable business. Um, it hasn't always been that way because margins have been incredibly tight, and the market's been incredibly competitive. But in the last three or four years, that's that's changed and changed dramatically. Um, Brexit has helped, um, and uh, but the general greening agenda and climate change is really helping uh, UK nurseries um uh, so i would say that the market's never been better in the whole time that i've been in this business so it's again it's another exciting time
0: mm, there's always um bumps in the road and there's there's a roller coaster isn't there in business and, and I, th- I think if you've been in business for so long you would you, you would have experienced all the roller coasters all those pits pitfalls that that you could fall down and, and you learn every time from each one of those you know even in that moment of crisis you know there's always opportunities and it helps you to think a a different way or or make a a decision um you mentioned there about you you got rid of all the the shops and selling to the public and selling off the off the markets and all that and focus just purely focusing in on the industry and supplying wholesale to the industry and since you have that one focus I think a lot of people um could learn from that because what I see and you know I coach a lot of landscapers and you know a lot of landscapers and you know sometimes you could be t- tempted into to, to going off track and of be oh we'll get into outdoor kitchens, we'll get into this we'll get into to that we'll do start offering su- uh, swimming pools or we'll start doing um garden rooms and and sometimes yeah. if you lose focus of your core business your core offering yeah. you, you create a yeah. bit of a monster for yourself
1: absolutely and i've done all of those things nick in yeah. my tongue so uh, <laughs> um
0: <laughs> you failed your way because, to success <laughs>
1: yeah yeah because uh, what i'm one of these people that you know i think recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses is a, is a really it's uh it's a it's a very important stage to get to in your business life and if you can be honest with yourself uh, what are your own strengths and weaknesses and 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 my uh my weakness is my attention span so you know i've got a very poor attention span And I get bored very quickly. And so I'm not a great manager. Um, And, you know, that's quite common with, it's quite a common entrepreneurial trait. And it took me a while to actually recognize that and be honest with myself. Mm. And, um, you know, now I'm very open and honest about it. And, um, you you know, so um, I don't involve myself in day-to-day routine because it's not my strength or forte.
0: Um, I think it's so important for everybody to understand that in uh, whatever position you're in in a company, you've got to play everyone to their strengths, and sometimes you try and Put round pegs and square holes, and yeah what you say, understanding where your strengths lie, understanding where the business owner's strengths lie. Generally, not very good at doing the work or 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 managing, but very good, like you say, the entrepreneurial spirit is that oh, I like, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that, and 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 you get lots of things started, but sometimes not a lot of things finished, and and then you, know, you try and do it all yourself, and it doesn't always work. So having that, you're absolutely experience. right, Nick, and
1: that's the other thing I recognise about myself. I am a starter. Mm. I'm not a finisher, mm. and therefore I need to surround myself with people finisher. that have the complementary qualities it's a team and effort. skills to
0: those that I've got. Yeah, but they don't have your skills and, and you don't have their skills, so yeah, recognise that in each other, and it's a dream team, isn't it? But it's the same yeah. with any landscape business or, or your your team of people out in, in the nursery. Yeah. yeah. Some people are good at really good things naturally. Need to keep people doing the things that they're naturally good at. They naturally enjoy because they're going to be more, they're going to be happier and more productive for you, and everyone wins. You know, and just I think sometimes just accepting that, like you say, recognizing that, and then accepting it, and think, okay, if that's if that's who I am naturally, then I need to do more of that, and I need to do less of the other stuff. No, really, being
1: honest with being honest with yourself, and honest with those around you, Mm. and then making sure that you add to those skills that you
0: have yourself and fill in the gaps absolutely absolutely yeah so leading on from that then what, what do you think um, the most successful the, mo- the most important elements are to running a successful business after all your 45 years worth of being you know at the helm what would you yeah. say um, the most important things are um, I, well, I think in terms of growing a business, and this
1: is one of the things you asked me to, to think about, Nick, in terms of growing a business, and um, it's about having a vision, because if you can't see ahead, you can't find the road ahead, um, in, 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 in my opinion. So you've got to be able to see where it is you want to get to, and then the road becomes clearer. And, um, uh, and I, that's where I have a strength. But the, the challenge then is to bring other people along that road. And um, so you have to articulate that vision and, and share it with those people and get them to see the way ahead to enable you to go forward. Um, and, and that's what I would say is really the most important thing in terms of growing a business you have to know where it is you want to get to
0: yeah that's so good and that, and that's so in line with the with what we preach to our clients or you know we advise to them because if you don't know where you're going how do you know how to get there if you did, if you went on a i don't know you booked a holiday and you didn't know how to get there and you said come on kids we're getting in the car we don't know how we're getting there but we're just going to sort of wing it how many yeah. mistakes would you think yeah. you'd make how many times would you go wrong how you know how how costly could that be it could be exhausting yeah. um, but getting the right people on the bus yeah. and making sure that they're all aligned with this is where yeah. we're going there's a common goal for the yeah. whole, everyone in the company
1: I think so but I but I also think that, that you can't be too prescriptive in that so you can't define a precise destination no. you can you can define an area of where you you can see yourself and where you would like to be and you know you might start off on that road and there, there might be a little bit of a fork in the road at some time to come which you hadn't anticipated yeah and um so some people say, well, how can I you know, define where it is I want to be? Um, but it's, it's, I keep coming back to that point about having a vision and, 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 in a way,
0: a dream
1: of where you would like to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's so, such a good point. I think a nice sort of addition to that is because the, the further you go out in time, the hazier, the foggier that becomes. So yeah. I think you've got to know roughly where that is But even if you can't define it, you need to roughly, that's the direction. And then you go, right, if we've got stakes in the ground, we've got key milestones, right? So if we want to be roughly here in 10 years, where do we roughly need to be in five? Therefore, in three years, we can probably guess a bit more accurately what that looks like. And then 12 months, we we pretty much know what that milestone is and then work back to the the, the next 90 days. But you've yeah, let's have that vision of roughly where you're going, what direction you're going to go, what path you're yeah, to take.
1: I, I think that's really important. But I think people misunderstand that. And it's a saying. I think you have to be terribly prescriptive. It's a right Don't have a crystal ball. And and I don't believe that. I think no. but it's just having a vision or a dream, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Um, uh, and at least you can set off in the right direction and and, yeah. and, and bring people with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The people element is is um, so important. Good stuff. Um, okay, so look, really good to know where we're going. But sometimes there are bumps in the road. Um, so, what are the biggest mistakes that you think you may have made, or or the biggest lessons that you've learned? Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I've made so many mistakes, Nick. We haven't got time to go through. All <laughs> so <laughs> <how are> your <laughs> way
0: to success, Rob. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think um, probably. Uh, The mistakes come from my own personal qualities that I alluded to earlier of, you know, um, poor attention to detail and uh, short attention span and uh, those kind of things, which means that to keep myself motivated, I always need to be doing something different or going off in a different direction. And the way that came about in my own business was that, you know, I took every opportunity to go into another area, whether it's a different market or a diversification or try something new. Mm. And I was constantly starting these new projects mm. or uh, different markets. And it was all, you know, and uh, we could never see them through successfully. A, because we didn't have the resources to, to do that, and B, because I wasn't the finisher myself. So that's the biggest mistake I've made in business, is trying to do too many things. Um, and going off in all sorts of different directions and lacking that focus. And uh, so, you know, we've learned from that. Um, I've personally learned from that. And uh, a part of that learning was recognising, as I said earlier, my own strengths and weaknesses, because we all have them.
0: Do um, we do and then we, it, it's, it's admitting to them and knowing where they are so sometimes we, we we may delude ourselves that we're really good at something actually we shouldn't yeah. be doing someone else will probably be better than us that's what Richard, yeah. Richard Branson says, says um you know always re- recruit people that are better than you in those positions because if you get involved you actually make things worse so um, employ people that are more la- naturally sort of um inclined to do some things so um so obviously you've had a few mistakes that's um if you hadn't then you probably hadn't been hadn't been pushing hard enough or trying enough and doing Doing enough, yeah. but you know, you mentioned about having a vision, and with hindsight, it's always great to look back. And I think this is why it's good to speak to someone like yourself that can really help people to maybe avoid some of those pitfalls that, that they might have otherwise fallen into had they not listened to to the words of wisdom of someone like yourself. But if there was, if there was one major challenge or, or obstacle that you've had, what do you think that might be? You know, and and, and if you just explain what it is, what did you do about it? And and what did you learn? What was the outcome? It'd be interesting to to find out.
1: Yeah, well, I have to go back a long way for that one. So the the biggest problem we had was back in 1987. Um, So you have to um, recognise that back in those days, it was a boom and bust economy and massive growth in the mid-80s. You know, it was Mm. just crazy, crazy growth. Um, particularly in the property market and the housing market and general commercial property development and speculation. And uh, at the business at that time, we were involved in supplying three main markets. We were growing a lot of trees for the commercial forestry market, uh, which was uh, a tax dodge, effectively. It was the forestry investment market. And wealthy individuals were investing in uh, commercial woodlands in Scotland because they were getting... Uh, massive tax advantages from doing that. So there's a whole industry spawned out of that. Uh, And Nigel Lawson stopped that in the budget in 1987. And at the time, I think we were growing 2 million Sitka spruce trees for shipping to Scotland. And overnight, suddenly, there was no market for those trees. We weren't the only ones. There were lots of nurseries in the UK growing conifers for that market in scotland And it's just stopped overnight now when you're running a nursery business you, you particularly to grow plants like that there's a kind of three-year lead-in period mm. so we've got three years worth of stock at different stages of production to fulfill that two million trees a year demand and so, so not only did we lose the sales and the profit on those sales but we had a load of stock that we had that was then then became worthless that was one part of it second part of it we were supplying the garden center markets in those days we, we don't do much for the garden center market anymore that's deliberate yeah. um, but our niche in the garden center market was ornamental trees and we were selling ornamental container grown trees to garden centers and typically people were when they bought a new home they would plant a tree or two in their in their gardens it's not something that you plant every year in a garden it's particularly when you move home well the the, the housing market crashed in the early 90s yeah. so this that was hot on the hills after the uh the forestry market crash so we were exposed to that market and um, yeah yeah and it was and then there was the general recession so we were and and we would actually at the time we borrowed a lot of money to build a garden centre in 1983 and uh, then, of course, you know, uh, interest rates went up. I remember in 1987, interest rates went up to 15% at one point, point, yeah. then it yeah. went back down to 10%. It was crazy times. Mm-hmm. And so we got into a lot of trouble financially. We couldn't service our debts. Uh, we, we lost big chunks of our market. And uh, we got a workforce at that stage that was 80, 90 people. And I had to make 25% of them redundant. Yeah. And when you run a business, um, the toughest part and the hardest job of anybody, particularly if it's your own business, and particularly if it's a family business with long-serving employees that have worked for other generations of your family, um, to then have to face them and say, mm. I'm sorry, you know, we haven't got a job for you anymore. That's the hardest thing in business. Mm. It really is the hardest thing in business. And so that was a very tough time, tough time for me personally, tough time for the business. And, um, on top of that, we had to refinance the business. Um, the bank wanted to call in their loans. And so, yeah, you, it doesn't get tougher than that when you're in business. Now that was a long,
0: long time ago,
1: but it's still something I remember very clearly.
0: Yeah. Well, I suppose and, that, that helps so, you now, doesn't it? To,
1: well, yeah. what well, it does. And, um, So I look back on that side and I think, well, how did we get through that? And actually, well, we've made a lot of people redundant. We cut costs in the business. You know, I I personally sort of, you know, I did everything I could to show that I was taking part in that. I sold my car and bought a secondhand old banger. You know, I cut my my personal salary. We we, we did everything we could to, um, um, you know, not only cut costs, but to demonstrate to everybody else that we're all in this together. Mm. Uh, and that was important. We managed to refinance the business, and um uh, we then had several years of consolidation and, you know, a long slog and a fight back. And it took a few years to turn it around. Mm. Um, uh, it was a tough time.
0: Very tough time. Yeah, they, um, they make you or break you. I suppose it was survival mode, really, wasn't it? Just to to get well, through I, it and rebuild. I, I, it. I think-
1: Looking back on that, I think many people would have thrown the towel in at that stage. Mm. Um, and I think, um, you, you know, we were probably technically insolvent. Yeah. Um, and um, probably should have thrown the towel in or could have easily thrown the towel in. But there's a kind of stubbornness there that said, actually, you know, you know, and also I'm an innate optimist. That's another quality. Good, which, just as well. Which has strengths and weaknesses to it as well. It does. It does. But, you know, I thought, yeah, we can get through this. And um,
0: anyway, luckily, we did. I suppose the added the added pressure of you being the the generation to then, you know, <laughs> you know, make the, the business go bust. You think, oh, I don't want it to be me. You know, you're the seventh well, generation. He hands it hands to you, and yeah. you've got pressure on your shoulders to make it yeah. work. So I suppose, yeah. for your own pride and self, you know. Um, respect you think no I need to dig deep here and there's you know we can do it and and that I think is is an amazing quality to have that resilience that resistance that makes you bulletproof and the the belief in yourself if you can get through that you can get through anything and I think that is such an important trait to have as a business person because anyone can do well when the times are going well it's what it's the person you become or have to become in times of crisis that defines you as a business person or not and makes you really resilient So uh, yeah. you're, you're probably more resilient than most business owners. I would imagine that you uh, that you've ever met. Yeah. I wouldn't wish that. I wouldn't want to wish no. that on anybody else. No, no, you don't those wish it. Those are the times when you do
1: don't sleep outside. at night. You know. Yeah. That, those are the times when owning a business is not fun. No, you, no, you, no. No. You don't sleep at night, and you feel that weight of responsibility. You also feel responsibility of all those people that re, that
0: you employ and that rely on you for their yeah. family's
1: subsistence as well.
0: Yeah, there's a massive responsibility and a big pressure. Yeah. And um, thankfully, you, you come out the other side and, and you're doing really, really well now as a business. And I'm sure your uh, your staff are all much happier for it as well. Um, yeah. So if you've got someone, let's think, um, you know, if you've got advice for, for anyone who might be listening to this or watching this, who's a bit stuck in their business, um, wants to expand, um, but doesn't really know what to do. They don't know what those next steps are To say, What would you say to them?
1: Yeah, I... Pr- probably already
0: touched on this, Nick,
1: when we talked about a vision and, and, and you know, having, uh, you know, understanding where it is you would like your business or what you would like your business to be. Mm. You know, some people are incredibly ambitious and want, you know, to continually grow their business. And others have more modest ambitions and uh, want, just want to have a lifestyle business. And, again, I think it's being honest with yourself saying, what is it that I really want? And um, that's that's the first, that's the key to it is, what, what do I really want? Do you want to keep growing my business forever? Or do I want to get to a point where, you know, I can have the lifestyle that I want for myself and my family? Um, so that's the starting point, I think. And yeah. again, honesty is the best policy here. Being honest with yourself. And then saying, okay, from that um having the vision uh recognizing and understanding where it is you're trying to get to is the most important thing Mm -hmm. and then it's about building a team around you that enables you to 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 get to where you want to go because you you can't do it it as well haven't they they've got to buy into it it on your own no no Uh, and you've got to have the team with complementary skills and this is my other bit of advice don't recruit People that are the same as you,
0: no, no, absolutely. You want to recruit people that. Are building, don't you? If I had a business for
1: the people like me, we wouldn't get anywhere. Nick,
0: <laughs> you'd start a lot. <laughs> you might not finish. You we start well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't really work very well, though, does it? you don't finish things. Yeah. So um, yeah, look, building a business bigger as bigger does not always mean best and, and great. You know, I think I think at some point that that's a really important thing to ask yourself. What does the business look like when it's finished? You know, what is it that I go and go to work for every day? In the words of um, Michael Gerber, the the author of the e-myth, that's what he says. What does the business look like when it's finished? Then you go about working to build that business. You know, you don't build a house without a plan. So why would you build a business without a plan? You know, so you've got to know what that looks like before you can actually go there. But I think a lot of people in maybe the landscape industry and those kind of trades is they're very good at what they do but not really understanding about the business strategic side and how to plan and, but just love doing what they do. And I think they, they have to become good at both, you know, because otherwise they don't survive if they don't have the business knowledge as well.
1: Yeah. That's, That's correct. And I think, you know, I wouldn't want to frighten people off in terms of thinking, Oh, I've got to have a plan, which, you know, which absolutely identifies and, 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 and specifies every step along the way because life isn't like that you know uh, we're entrepreneurs sure. and business people and even you know you go to business school and you're told that you've got to have a business plan uh, and and that can put people off you know and i would say yeah. you know don't don't worry about that too much you know that will work itself out if you know where you're going and that's my big belief yeah
0: is, if you know roughly where you're going yeah yeah you know, you've
1: got to know where you're going yeah and then you're working out. You're working out how to get there along the way. Yeah. You, you can't prescribe every step that you're going to take for the next five years. Uh, I would discourage people from that because that's too daunting a, a
0: prospect. Yeah, yeah. Don't yourself under too much pressure from day one. I think if you know roughly where you want to go, leave it at that and, and don't be too prescriptive as, in terms of exactly what that looks like. But I think yeah. you've got to have a, a vague understanding of where you want to get to. How big do you want to make this business? Is it going to be a £1 million yeah. is it going to be five is it going to be 20 do you want to take over the world do you want to go national and if, if the answers to that is actually no i just want a nice lifestyle business i want to have a really tight cl- close team that makes a nice profit and you know everyone's happy then that's right for you isn't it it's not yeah. it's not right for everyone
1: that's the point i think that's the most important point defining what it is that you want from that business yeah whether it's you want to grow a huge business to so sell for multiples and you know 15 years time or whether you just want a lifestyle business with uh, everyone's different you know everyone's different. Everyone's different.
0: Yeah, there's no right or wrong way Rob it's been an absolute pleasure I'm going to leave it on on that note I think that's some great um, wise words great pearls of wisdom and um, if someone wants to get in touch with you whether it's for to come and work for you uh, or to come and um, you know use you as a, as a supplier for all their all their things plant wise and, and trees what how would they how they get in touch with you? what's the best way for them to get in touch with you
1: well there's our website which is crowdersnurseries.co.uk or email inquiries at crowders.co.uk i should say crowder is spelled c-r-o-w-d-e-r a lot of people think it's there's a th in the middle
0: a lot of people think it's Leslie Crowther, I suppose. Exactly. As opposed to Crowder. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Rob. Um, it's been a real pleasure listening to you. Really interesting, fascinating story. Um, let's uh, hope for many, many more years to come um that you're gonna keep flying the flag for the, the crowder family. So um yeah. absolutely amazing. Fair play to you and um it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for your Yeah, time uh, to you me. too, Nick. Thank you so much. Cheers, Rob. Take care. Bye. Yeah, bye now. Thanks for listening to the Grow Landscapers podcast. To get in touch and see how we can help you with your business by emailing nick at nickruddle.com.